Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the You Write Your Story podcast. And this afternoon, we are speaking to Linda Sage. Welcome, Linda. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited about being here. Fantastic. So, as I said, I was looking, I was looking you up a little bit before we started, and obviously reading your story a little bit about your your burnout. And um, I noticed that you work a lot with anxiety. You help people with their depression, and then you're also a psychologist. So, is all of this? Did all of this come about after you had your burnout, or was this something that you did before? Um, you had this major kind of shift in your life, as it may. Uh, well, I was a criminal psychologist by uh, profession. So I did a lot of work within prisons. And uh, as you are, I think many of us in our generation now have full-time work, you have children and you have elderly parents. So mm. you're, you're balancing a lot of plates. Um, and beforehand, I had started getting into doing voluntary work, uh, supporting other caregivers, especially because supervision was something that was always lacking for, for people especially within the nursing industry and things like this. So I had started to get into doing that, but then everything just piled piled up. Um, yeah. My dad had a several hemorrhage. My mum had a, a fall, so I had both of them really ill. My daughter has many things on the autistic spectrum. So I was taking on an educational driving as well. That's the job that I was holding down as well so many things led to it but at the time you know it's just like yes come on you can do this it's just one more thing carry on let's let's keep going can I backtrack Um, one little one little bit there so you said that you were you actually so you started off in your field as a criminologist or criminal psychologist? psychologist yes and what on earth got you into that field because I mean that sounds like a really really interesting field to go into obviously the behavior of of people that commit crimes yeah um, well when I first w- I went to university my dad was so excited because I was the first one in the family basically to go to university so when I went down to the University of Kent I really sort of hadn't made my mind up and I was talking to some of the lecturers there and one of them said to me right before you sign up for anything go and watch this lecture. So I did go to the lecture and it was just felt like coming home. It made so much sense to me and it was psychology and I'd never even thought of it before. Uh, And so when I got home, I was so excited and uh, my dad was like waiting and my mum and they said, oh, what have you signed up for? like, psychology. I wasn't happy about that at all. No, um, but for me, it, it was fabulous. And so I did my um, degree in that and I went on to do my master's and that's, and I was doing a lot of work with uh, victims and I was doing a lot of work with the police and things like this. And it felt quite difficult for me to be involved with the victims. Mm. So um, I got involved with the perpetrators doing profiles and things like this. And that was my safety net because when you're talking about children and things like this, you know what a child of eight or four or 11 is like, but you're not dealing with the the actual person, the soul and the parents and things like this. So it was basically my, my boundary, which uh, was the safeguard for me. And, um, 
yeah, it was it was just fantastic, and I've been so lucky with it. I've travelled a lot of the world, worked in many places, and uh, yeah, life was going well. I, um, I got married and had a daughter. She had a lot of specific um, learning disabilities, as we sort of found out on the way through um, with the Asperger's and uh, um, dyslexia, dyspraxia. Uh, OCD, things like this. Um, so there was a big fight on with education. And a lot later on, um, so I was then working sort of some in education because I wanted to know how best to support her. Yeah. And it came to light that an awful lot of people within the prison system um, have these learning disabilities. Hmm. And a lot of them haven't been identified. So they are being able to have this knowledge in the system, not just for education, but actually how they they live, because obviously all of them interact in social interaction, timekeeping, you know, personal management and things like this. So it was a big, big step for me then realising that so it had such an impact on the way of life within the prison. And then... Um, Things really started building up and taking on an educational tribunal for my daughter. Um, my parents were obviously getting more elderly. My mum uh, fell and broke her hip. Oh my, while my, my dad had a cerebral hemorrhage and it was just like everything within an 18 month period. It, it was oh. just so heavy and intense. And at work, because um, always short staffed you're always doing extra hours you're traveling mm -hmm. and it's very difficult working with that type of person to then come home walk up to the front door forget it and walk in and say hi you know what's for dinner yeah yeah <laughs> so de dealing with that and that's what really led to the complete you know burnout for me because I got to the point, and can I ask you? So obviously, you know, having a a background and understanding of um, human behaviour and how we all operate and uh, how we function, was there no sort of indication that you 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 thought that you were going to have a burnout? Did it get to a point where you realised that? you had to stop but you just felt that you had to keep going or you know were there any kind of symptoms that you recognized and that you just ignored yeah denial is the greatest place to live and most people in in care live in denial because yeah. it's always you know yes i i know i know all these facts it's like yeah exactly the same with eating you know you know an apple is a much better choice than a great big donut but we still choose the donut and with with this at the same time, you can know all this information, yeah. but you look at it, if somebody else is in that, you would be saying to them, do X, Y, and Z. But if it's you, you're like, oh, yes, it's, it's for everybody else, but I'm fine. But and why do you think that is? Now, you know, so you made a really, really good valid point there because... As you say, I mean, I'm one of those people. I healed my body from chronic fatigue syndrome by changing my diet because I used to live on, on toast and bovril, you know, because I didn't have time to eat. I couldn't be bothered about food. I was raising two children single-handedly. So it was more about my focus on them, making sure that they ate properly, they lived well and completely neglected myself. And then obviously, you know, when I had um, was diagnosed with this chronic fatigue syndrome, 
I was then told, well, you know, I either have to start looking after myself and eating properly, or I'm not going to have the energy. So, which I did, but now in my later life, I feel like I'm back to that stage and I'm like, oh, I couldn't be bothered. I couldn't be bothered eating that apple. I'd rather have, once again, the slice of toast. So, what is it, do you think, or in your opinion, about us human beings that continue to ignore that self-esteem it comes down to about valuing yourself as much as you value you know somebody else it's the same the same question if if you think about uh recently if you made a promise to somebody whether it's a colleague a friend a loved one and you couldn't keep it how did you feel about it awful really bad but you make a promise to yourself and you don't keep it how do you feel about it? Guilt. <laughs> a little bit, but you're st- but not in comparison to what you yeah. feel about letting somebody else down. Oh. So why? What, where's the difference? Because you're not valuing your promise to yourself as much as you're valuing your promise to somebody else. And we make excuses for uh, others, but uh, for, for ourselves, we, we just like, oh, you know, brush it off, it doesn't matter. Because if you don't respect you, why is anybody else going to respect you? Yeah, yeah. So yes, I agree. So it, it's that whole thing about where you just said, if you don't respect yourself, how should somebody else respect you? And I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday where they were saying they've learned that, you know, um, I think it was years ago, I said to them, you really need to learn to love yourself. And at the time, he said, why on earth should I do that? What is the point? And the pennies only just dropped when he said, well, how is anybody else supposed to love me if I don't love myself first? So it kind of is in the same line, isn't it? It is very much. And, and also one of the things I say for is if you are caring for somebody else or your parent and you're caring for children, what message are you teaching them? Yeah. You know, if they go on to have bad relationships or, you know, to, to have addictions or to you know, treat themselves badly, where are they learning mm. it from? Very true. Such an important point. So coming back to your story. So you said it was 18 months where you were, obviously you were taking care of your family. You were taking care of the people that you worked with. You had a daughter with learning difficulties. So so take me to the point where it all just fell apart. Uh, I went into uh, to work in prison and uh, I was working with, um, a serious offender and I was sitting writing up the notes and another offender came and stood in the doorway yeah. so that that blocked the exit because there was only one so literally it was a cat and mouse game to see you know a power a power trip oh. so uh, in the end when when he went and I came out I went back to the office and everybody had gone home yeah so it, it was just the the straw on the camel's back that it made me think well you know I could have been dead I could have been there in a pool of blood and everybody's gone home through all this time I put on a huge amount of weight because uh not eating properly obviously not taking care of myself and also going into a prison one of the last things you want to feel is attractive because then you're vulnerable so it was a hiding it was a shield as well and so we literally moved countries. I moved from the UK back to Spain. 
And I took my mum and my dad with me and I was caring for them. And it was, uh, now I realise it was running away. Yeah, I just wanted geography. Let me move. Let me change everything. Um, but um, at the time, I was still in denial. My daughter took a photograph of me the first day we moved into the house. Now, there's been no photographs for a long time because when you, you're in burnout and that, photographs, you know, you make all the excuses up not to be social. You yeah. cut off contact even with people that you like. Mm. Um, you, know, you isolate yourself really well. Yeah. And so, so this house had a beautiful swimming pool. So we moved in and it was October and uh, it had been quite a heavy uh, couple of few days of that. So I was by the pool, which I would never have done in a public pool. So I was there and I'd actually fallen asleep. Okay. And my daughter took a photograph and she came out later and said, oh, oh she's so excited. You know, I've taken the photograph and she put it on Facebook. Oh, gosh. And I looked like a dead whale. I had so, I was so big and my mouth was open and I was obviously snoring and this, this photo had gone all around the world and it still took me 10 days to realize I wasn't angry with her putting, you know, how could she put this photograph out? It never came into my head. Mm. How would I let myself get into this situation? Mm. Now the denial was still there. This, this is me. What have I done to me? You know, how did I become this? Mm. Because I was hiding behind everything. So with everything I knew, it was okay for everybody else, but I wasn't doing it for me. Yeah, sure. So it's been a long road back on that one. It took me about, well, over six years to start working in psychology again. And it, really? it took me over 11 and a half years to walk back into a prison again. Wow. And uh, I, I started my sort of recovery then which was step by step. But again, life throws you curveballs. So you lost your mum and your husband and your dad? Within 14 months. Wow. That's a so, huge loss. So that, yeah, you're, you're just, you're recovering back from your um, burnout and then life is, is going on and other things happen. Mm. But as you start recovering, you find the strength to be able to deal with those in a different way. They yeah. didn't send me back to the biscuit barrel or, you know, the alcohol. I was lucky. Mine was food. Yeah. You know, I would, I would emotionally eat. Whereas a lot of people, it's drink or, you know, self-medication and things like this. So in respect, I was lucky. But unfortunately now, you know, I didn't get a lot of support. Mm. Uh, a lot of my journey was on my own or by the contacts I was making that I got some really good help there. But people in professional situations now are still not getting any better support. Yeah, yeah. So, so learning, you know, where I started doing a lot of work was about prevention and mm. you're caring for yourself while you're caring for somebody else. Because if not, in the end, you're going to end up with two people that need caring for. Yeah. And how do you link that? So when you're saying, you know, about the fact that, because you obviously knew on some level that, you had to take care of yourself so you could take care of your daughter and be there for your parents and your husband. Um, but how did you, what was that shift that you made? You know, as you said, it, it took you 10 days to look at that picture and, and link 
that it was your lack of self-care that got you to that point. But what was that, that shift that you made in terms of getting yourself out of that? Because coming back to earlier when we were talking about, you know, it's easy when you have to do it for somebody else or for something outside of you. But when it's for yourself, how do you find that button or that link or that connection to do that? I, I think to, for me, it's a bit like if you're working with any form of addict, because in a way it is an addiction because you, you know, you're, you're self-abusing you know, in, in many ways. Mm. And it's about hitting that point. And that photograph for me was my bottom point. I couldn't deny it anymore because you stop looking in mirrors. Uh, you don't go and buy clothes. Stop yourself going out socially and, and, you know, really having a life, you know? Mm. So it got to the point where, you know, that photograph was in my face and it was like, you've got to look at this. Yeah. It's like yeah. that whole face it and change it thing. You know, you've got to face it and go, well, am I happy with this? Is this who I want to be? Is this how I want my life to be or what I want my life to be like? So it's like, as you're saying, really having that courage to go, well, the only person that can change it is you. Well, there's, only, there's only two reasons people change ever, and that's pleasure or pain. Yeah. You're moving away from pain or you're moving towards pleasure, whichever one you want to say. Yeah. And, yeah, yes, you already know that you feel sluggish, you feel tired, you feel uncomfortable in your body, uh, you're fed up and not having clothes that fit, fit nicely. Yeah. Um, or you know, lacking in your confidence. I mean, work-wise, I was really happy. But even now, it's, it's part of yeah. me recuperating. I still find it easier to close myself off socially. You know, when I came home, it's much easier for me to close the door and stay in than it is then to get ready and go out again. It, it, it's really still my push that, you know, business but is that and... Not okay? Is that not okay to do that? No, so but the, a balance. I mean, I'm quite happy mm. not, you know, if I'm going out and it's something related to work or I'm going to do a presentation or I enjoy dancing, but you stop doing everything you enjoy. Yeah, so what you're saying is for you, it's quite easy to still do the things that where other people are depending on you or if it's for your job, um, but if it's something that's just for you, it's still easy for you to go, nah, I'll just stay in and sit on the couch tonight instead of going dancing. And when, and if you do go dancing, you usually go, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I love it. I should do it more. <laughs> well, I've, I've got back to where I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I go every week. Yeah. So I've sort of committed to, to uh, joining, joining a club and, and going on a weekly basis. But even so, it's very easy while you're working and things are going on and you're saying, yeah. oh, well, you know, I've got an early start tomorrow. So again, it's about stop making those excuses. Yeah, it's, stop putting it's, yourself last. Yeah, it's as important as everything else. Yeah. And I think that's a huge shift. I mean, that is such a big mind shift because... You know, I'm glad to hear that you still, and not in a bad way, when you say you still struggle with that, because I mean, I've been in this psychology about for how many years? And, you know, I, I still struggle with the same thing, where it's a case of, oh, no, it's cold now. I'll just stay inside. 
Why would I want to go out? You know, I wake up in the morning and go, oh, I'm going to go to gym today. Oh, I'm going to go for a swim. I love swimming. I love swimming. It's always been my sport. And then I talk myself out of it. And I go, no, I've got to do that. And I've got to do that. And it's cold. And I don't want to get in my swimsuit and all those excuses. So it's constantly kind of finding that that way, that trigger of going, no, you're going to do something that's great for you this morning because you are important. I mean, one of the things that I do a lot of work with people with a diary, and if you put it in as an appointment, because if you were making an appointment to go and meet somebody, you would go and do it. Whereas, and also, if it's, in, if it's in there as an appointment, when you're making appointments with other people to do other things, you can't... Yeah, you know, just cross it out and say, "Oh, that's not important." Yeah, it's it's in there, so you work around it. So you do then work with time for yourself. I absolutely love that because you know I've had so many argue, not so many arguments, but in in the past I've clashed with people when I've made an appointment with them and I've put it in the diary and I've made sure I've set that time aside and I'm ready for it. I get up in time. I do whatever I, you know, so I can be on time, and then they don't pitch or they keep changing the appointment and they keep changing, keep changing it. And eventually I've got to the point and I've gone, you know what? You can't keep doing this. I've set the time aside. You've now inconvenienced my day again for the fifth time because I make the time for you because you are important to me. So I'm giving you of my time because you are important to me. So the fact that you are saying to people that that is the way you should view yourself that is massive. That's like such an aha moment right there by going, just do that for yourself. Put yourself in the diary. And even if you have to kind of put in like a different name or give yourself a, a different fun name and it's Debs yeah. Fun Time, yeah. or, you know, this is for your happiness factor, as I call yeah. it. I mean, I love that. It's just, I've never heard somebody say that before. And that just makes so much sense. Yeah. I, I usually say it's a mix. So it's yeah. me, X, so whatever you want, and then you can put it in there. So yes, you can put it in under another name or do something, but that is, if it's written in, it is part of your daily routine. Yeah, it's part of your commitment, it's part of your day, and that's what you're going to do regardless and treat it, view it, almost like bring it into your mindset of, you know, this is what I would do for somebody else, so this is what I'm doing for myself. Yeah. What a wonderful tip. I love that. So... So you obviously, so you've turned your life around and this is now what you do to help other people to do exactly the same. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 I do a lot of work within um, mainly education and uh, health, but it's going out a lot further now because obviously many people in other spheres, especially entrepreneurs and things like this are not very good at looking after themselves. Yeah. No, they're not. We aren't. You know, it's just such a, and as you say, so, so, so have you moved away from the prisons now? No, I'm still, I'm still within the prison. Uh, normally in the mornings, I don't commit now uh, to full day uh, because I'd always worked. I'd always been headhunted. I really hadn't been for an interview for about 20 odd years. And it was like everything else. Oh yes. I have And all sorts of things. And my time for that really dawned when I went to the Middle East because I got a contract to go to the Middle East for 12 weeks. And going away and working abroad uh, there 
really made me cut those ties, be able to cut the ties. So I had about 15 days in the house in the end in a year. So when I came back, it didn't have the same hold as when I'd left it. So you cut so, the ties with your, obviously with losing your husband and your parents and stuff. So going abroad, you were able to then cut the ties with your previous life. Is that what you said? Yeah, not so just cutting them, but putting them into perspective. Because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, a house is a house. But yeah. sometimes we get so attached to the physical parts that yeah. it stops us moving on and doing other things. Yeah. And because I went to Saudi, I went originally for a 12-week contract and I ended up staying six and a half years. Wow. So I, I mean, I was coming back with a Ford in that time, but the house then didn't have the same hold. Yeah, mm -hmm. The memories are still there. I still have the photographs. I still have lots of memorabilia of all of them, but I don't need the house anymore as yeah. a... You know, to, to be there so mm. selling the house and I put all my belongings in storage I didn't have a home for a few years and then when I came back to the UK it was like opening everything up again and yeah. making sure you know you keep the good bits mm. but all of a sudden you've got more of a balance back because you can look at it from a more dispassionate eye and your daughter, how is your daughter? Does she still live in the UK and how has she got on? She's in the UK now, yeah. Because um, when we lost her dad and her granddad, uh, very close together, obviously they were the closest male people to her, mm -hmm. um, she really went off the rails. Mm -hmm. She was 16 at the time. So um, unfortunately we went through a really big, as a men of um, alcohol and drug abuse. So... Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest, I'm very, very fortunate still to have her. Some of the things, uh, the times that she went through then. But she's uh, she's 28 now. And, uh, yeah, she's actually back in college. Amazing. She's doing a, a course now. And um, she's got a driving licence. And she's really pulled herself back. But, yes, quite a few years of a lot of heartache. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear she's back on track and she's doing well. And, and you happy. So what if you had to say to like a young person now that 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 is listening in terms of so obviously you've you've had quite the journey um you know being the caretaker looking after other people realizing having your burnout clawing your way back um changing your life i mean that's quite something to do changing your life in terms of selling your house and going to live in a different country which you seem to have done a few times i have yeah uh, <laughs> And you, you're obviously very resilient because you bounce back and you find your feet again. So what is the one thing you like saying to people in terms of, it, from a preventative aspect, but I think, because I think often, you know, we always say to our children, you know, I, I wish you would just learn from me because we kind of don't want them to go through the same things. But yet, at the same time, you know, I can remember my daughter saying to me, because, I, because my son is very good at learning from other people. So he'll just go, no, mom, um, I've learned from your mistakes. Whereas my daughter's often gone, mom, leave me alone to make my own mistakes. And that's quite hard as a parent when you, yeah. you kind of see them going down the same road and then they make their mistakes, they get, they get hurt, they bounce back. I mean, fortunately, 
she's got she's she's an amazing person and she hasn't she didn't go off the rails or anything like that but at the time when she said to me mom let me learn from my own mistakes you kind of go oh my goodness i just don't want you to go through the pain that i went through which she didn't but what i'm saying is what is that one thing that a person can say to our younger generation in terms of you know learning through your own mistakes of course but also learning from other people so that they don't go all the way down. Do you know what I'm trying to say? But again, I think it's about, you know, do as I say and not as I do. Yeah. If you are treating yourself bad, then, you know, even though whatever message you say is coming out here, yeah. then, you know, they're still getting the other message. Yeah. When you think about it, no baby anywhere is born that comes into this world with any beliefs or isms or fears or phobias now, everything is learned yeah so if we behave in what we the way we want them to to be behaving they'll learn that yeah everybody's going to make mistakes but yeah. that's okay too yeah. but it's about not making the same mistake over and over again is what is what we do yeah. You know, you don't have one bad relationship, you have 20. You yeah. don't, you know, you don't have one donut, you have the whole tray full. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's okay. I mean, one of the things I did when I started on the road was have a, um, a notice on the, the door of the cupboard in the kitchen, do you really want this? Mm. And if the answer is yes, then that's fine. Have a, have a, uh, a cake or a biscuit with your cup of tea but not two or three broken ones while you're making it because they don't count and then you know only take on the ones that you have while you're sat with your cup of tea yeah 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 personal accountability i think if we teach personal accountability from you know from the beginning then we'd stop making these excuses mm. yeah. if you want to eat the whole packet of biscuits or you want to be in this relationship because it feels good to you even if other people are saying no but i did it because i chose to do it mm. yeah and and then i think if we do that we can respect ourselves much more yeah and i think you know what you're saying is very much like let's just be more conscious about our choices because often i think you know as parents or as caregivers that you know what we think is good for us should be good for somebody else um but yet maybe it isn't you know so for instance if you don't approve approve or like the fact that your child has a tattoo but that's what makes them feel good, then that's their choice. But it's a conscious choice because don't you think a lot of times, you know, with, with parenting, I've discovered that there's so much that we do unconsciously. We do it because our parents did it and because our grandparents did it. You know, so a lot of people don't just wake up and go, wait, actually, is this part of who I am? Is this part of who I want to be as a parent? Do I want to do the same thing my parents did? So, and even like with the food, as you're saying, because I think a lot of times with food, it's just so unconscious. It's just a case of, I'm bored. I want to feel good. Let me go and have that cookie. Let me go and have that extra chocolate. Let me have that extra glass of wine because now I'm feeling relaxed. So it's all about, it's, it really is all about being conscious and being conscious about your choices, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, everything is a choice. And when you give up that 
choice. Yeah, this is the way it's always been done. This is how it is. This is how I am. It's not. It's how you have become. So going back and looking at the choices and say, right, if I want to do that, if I want to drive at 100 miles an hour, um, I I accept that if I get stopped, I'm going to get a ticket or I'm going to get a fine. But it's my choice. You don't always have to be good or make the correct choice, but it's about not at the end of the choice, turn around and say, oh, well, it was his fault. They told me to do this. It's because of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's about being responsible for your choices. Yeah. And I guess it's even like what you were saying with the burnout and preventing a burnout and, you know, having to go through all that recovery and everything. It's once again about choosing yourself choosing what you want to do for yourself and why you want to put yourself first above others and I think that's such a hard lesson these days especially for women it's hard to put yourself first when you've always been taught and it's been role modeled to you how you put other people first and then suddenly you're on this new journey and you go no I'm going to put myself first because if my cup is full I have an overflow to give but if my cup is empty I'm giving on empty and I'm going and I'm going to burn out. I mean, that's, that's a classic way of describing burnout, isn't it? I think also it's about realizing that it's not just about putting yourself first. It's about putting yourself equal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's about taking in uh, everything. It's not just, it's not about being egoistic or selfish. It's, It's about saying, you know, there's a balance. Yeah, I mean, that's such a wonderful way to look at it because like you were saying that you work with a lot of entrepreneurs and if entrepreneurs don't look after themselves, they also won't have a job because they are the vessel, they are the the company, the business, the factory, the whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it's them. So they've got, they like the car. I mean, because people look after their cars more than they look after themselves, don't they? So it's a case of like, you've got to see yourself as the business because if you don't look after the business you'll you're going to have nothing and how would you feel if you then have to have benefits or go and live off somebody else and not be able to take care of yourself that's such a fantastic way of looking at it and and also because for entrepreneurs um most people don't do business just with companies they do business with people so if they're getting you know if you get on with this person you appeal to this person and you can get on on with them you're likely to be doing more business whereas but a long time ago i haven't done it recently but i used to do a keynote on um uh great knickers and a bad hair day (laughs) because and then this was very much for entrepreneurs because yeah if you're feeling drab and gray are you going to get a million a million dollar client yeah it's not going to happen yeah, because it's so true, because I'm in the feeling business, you know, everything is about emotional intelligence, and it's about how you feel, and people can pick up on that, so if you're feeling like a million bucks, because you're wearing nice knickers, and you're feeling great, other people are going to be attracted to that energy, versus yeah. if you're feeling sluggish and dirty, and your hair's filthy, and you're not bothered, people are going to pick up that as well, and they're not going to want to do business with you, so... <laughs> You have given us so many nuggets of wisdom, (laughs) so many things to ponder on. And I just think it's so important. And I just want to, 
I want to thank you for taking the time to share your story because, you know, whenever I speak to somebody, I'm never quite sure what is going to come out. And that's the way I love doing a podcast because it's just a case of, no, I want to see what's going to evolve with the conversation. And not for a second that I believe that there was going to just be so many nuggets of wisdom that I, that I need to pay attention to, never mind that the audience has to pay attention to. So I just want to thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for sharing that because I just think it's so important. And there's so many people that need to hear what you have just said, because you've been there, you've done it, you've come back, you know, from a horrible situation a couple of times and, you know, you now, would you say you're thriving? Oh, yes. I mean, now, it, but um, it, it's like being an alcoholic. It's exactly, you know, a, a wow. similar thing or a gambler or, you know, a, an addict. You've got to keep working at it. It's like, same as a marriage. If you've got a long-term marriage, it doesn't yeah. just happen. You have to work at it. So you've got to work at yourself on a daily basis as well. I think um, Linda comes across as that mum you need that's going to kick your butt into gear when you're not looking <laughs> after yourself in a nice and kind, gentle, but stern way. That's, that's the impression I get. <laughs> well, that's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Linda.